And welcome back to Some EMS Stories, where you submit your stories, and I read them on the air, and I even share some of my stories, and, you know, pass on whatever little knowledge I have about EMS, even though I've been in it for a little bit of time. One of the... One of the things to keep in mind, one of the things I've learned here in this job, if you're going to continue to make it as an EMT, you got to keep a cool head in in, in these situations, in, in medical situations. Things can get tough real quick, and it'll affect you mentally and physically. Today, I want to focus mainly on the mental part of it, because honestly, from what I've had to endure and from what I've learned in school, they can't really teach you this. They can never teach you to be mentally prepared for what you might face. You can always train yourself physically, but to mentally be able to take some of these jobs on takes a toll sometimes. And it's okay for you to Find some kind of help or get some kind of rest. Because trust me, in this job, you'll find plenty. So if you're still considering being an EMT or you are an EMT, maybe you're on the transport side or uh, you're considering 911. And and before I go on, just a, uh, something that uh, one of my listeners brought to my attention, and it's so true. Some EMS companies have... Uh, their transport and 911 all mixed together. So if this doesn't involve you where it's separate, where there's transport and 911, I'm sorry I didn't include you. But yeah, sometimes they are together. Sometimes 911 trucks uh, on in their companies will do transport jobs or vice versa. It happens. But on to it. I know that EMTs and EMS workers don't like me using this word, but sometimes these things could be happening in the quietest of days or quietest of nights. Calm. It's just nice. You know, you and your partner are sitting around. Maybe you're joking. Uh, maybe you're watching something on your phone. Maybe you're taking care of schoolwork, whatever it is. I know a lot of EMTs who are training to be paramedics and working at the same time. God bless you. But it'll always... <laughs> Let me not say always. It'll usually hit you on the last job. I've always said that. Like ever since I started working in EMS, I've always said it's always the last job <laughs> where something crazy will happen. Cardiac arrest, gunshot, stab, some, a 13. And a 13 in our end means that there's a unit that needs help. It happens. That's not to say it doesn't happen in the beginning of the shift or the middle. But based on how I speak to my coworkers and other EMTs and my personal experience, it usually happens at the end. So I'll give you an example with this first story of how things can kind of get weird and how you have to pretty much work with it. So my partner and I, who I used to work overnights with, and is a great friend of mine. He uh, and I get a call for what was a stabbing. Now, it seems like this was a third-party caller because there wasn't that much information to go on. So we head over there and prepare for the worst because, honestly, we're going on the assumption that 
hey, this, this person could be bleeding out. We just don't know. So when we get there, uh, him and I have been doing EMS for a long time, so it's uh, there's no there none of we don't, we're not considered rookies at this point, uh, and the reason I say that is because we already know you know crossing the T's dotting the I's, we don't we don't kind of we we kind of know what to get already, but we go in there, we go into the spot. Uh, there's police all over. This place is a pool house, and everybody's been evacuated or, or there was no one there already and we have a lieutenant there and on the floor we see this gentleman who's lying flat on his back he's got a cut in his abdomen and all I see is his uh, his intestines having out that's what you'll see sometimes you gotta you gotta be ready to see that kind of imagery right and the lieutenant the lieutenant then tells us, hey, uh, start working them up because it, it, we got to get them out of here. Now, what happens is as we're preparing to seal the, seal the wound and uh, wrap the intestines, uh, wrap, well, place it against the, the abdomen, he, the gentleman begins to uh, look at us. And so he has he he's kind of responsive, and we're trying to get you know we're at, we're trying to ascertain his information. We're trying to get through to him, but he's not responding to us verbally. And then all of a sudden, we just see him just look up, uh, look straight up, and he is going into traumatic arrest. He was bleeding internally. There was no blood in the area we covered. None. Just the intestine hanging out. But he was bleeding internally. And that is what caused him to become unresponsive. As we're getting ready to do CPR, we're working him up. Um, in comes another crew. They're trying to assist us. They're ALS. And we, we get the gentleman onto the stretcher as much as we can. And, and we, we get him in the truck and we bring him to... The hospital. In the hospital, uh, they tried their best to do the work on the gentleman, and that was that. But what I'm saying is, uh, the the way that it connects is just that, with such little information, just a stabbing, you've got to be able to. You got to be a pessimist a little bit in EMS. Worst case scenario, right? Uh, not to your detriment. Uh, you don't think of the worst case scenario for you, but you think of there's a possible chance this could get real serious real quick. We don't know who's around. We barely got any info. Luckily, PD and the lieutenant was there because this, like I said before, this this place was abandoned. It was just a patient on the ground. Other times, uh, the second story, you'll have much more of a crowd, much more of a crowd, and you have to get through the noise and focus on patient care second story 26 year old heart attack in the middle of of the lobby in the, his building we get there with ALS right get all our equipment we're ready to work we get up there 
And there is a crowd of people around this gentleman, including his, uh, I want to say his mother. Yeah, his mother. And we're trying to ask questions. We're trying to see what's going on. And no one, no one is able to give us a coherent answer. We're not really able to understand, but when it comes to those moments, you you gotta you gotta delegate. You gotta delegate. Who's gonna work on the patient? Who's gonna get information? Both are vital. The patient care is more vital, but if you got the hands and you got the bodies, you have to you have to try to you have to try to cover as many bases as possible. And so, while they're working this gentleman up. The mother then goes up to the patient's ear while he's unresponsive. And she's just crying out to him, telling him, come back to me, come back to me, don't die. Now think about that for a second. You're trying to work and she's getting in the way. I mean, of course, she's distraught. She doesn't know what's going on. She just wants her son back. And you could sympathize with that. But at the end of the day, you have a job to do. How do you then, with sensitivity and with urgency, get the woman to step back and let you do your job? And honestly, sometimes it's, it's about really telling them, kind of pulling them off in a sense. And that's not easy. Right and getting their attention again while your while your uh, coworkers are working, and that's not to say that you're not rotating as this goes because when it comes to CPR, you are rotating with other members and firefighters if they're available. They're usually there and they're really good about doing CPR. I can only imagine because they're in a station all day and they want to do something. So when when we get there and we're rotating around and one is asking questions and maybe it's your turn to do CPR, then your partner will start talking to uh, the, the people around them, family around them, and getting information. My point is, in all of the chaos, in all of the noise, you've got to be able to focus on the task. The task at hand. We were able to get that gentleman out of the building. But I've got one that can be even worse. Now check out this scenario. We arrive on scene. It's in a pretty crowded area. This is outside. It's kind of like the hood kind of a deal. And when we're approaching the scene, we see that a huge crowd. It's got to be 30 people. And there's so much noise going on. And all we see are police in a particular area. They're standing, well, some are standing. We saw two kneeling. And when we saw that, the came, the call came over as a gunshot. It's a gunshot wound. And of course, like I, like we said, you never know. The text was vague. There wasn't much information. Someone called it in. One of those 30 people must have called it in. We get to it. Police, we, we put everything on the stretcher we, and, and we get to the police officers. The police officers are attempting CPR on this young man. 
Everyone is yelling. His name, the 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 uh, patient's name. Everyone is trying to yell at us to do something. Everyone is yelling because they don't. They're panicking, and in that noise, you've got to be able to block it out and do your job. And it got to the point. It got to the point where it might have gotten violent in the outrage. So this gentleman was shot in the head. You'll find in, in class, and you'll know if you're working for a long time, there's something called obvious signs of death. This gentleman clearly had obvious signs of death. We don't work up obvious signs of death. We call it time of death. But this scenario was different. If we, le- if we left that body there, if we called time of death there, we might have been in serious danger with those who are around us. We could not predict what was going on. So we did the only thing we knew what to do. Get him out of there. We knew he was dead, but we had to go. We place him on the stretcher. I, I attempt to bandage the wound in his head. And then we roll him to the ambulance. And as this is going on, some from the crowd, being his family, were following right behind us. And so now there are two other units there. So there's a total of three. My unit and two other units, including paramedics. We go to one of their trucks and load them right into... Well, yeah, we load them right into their truck and police jump in there and paramedics jump in there and EMTs jump there. It's a, it's a, whole, it's a whole thing back there. It's a whole process. And then they close the doors. And when we closed the doors, I was on the outside uh, because the other trucks needed to be driven. But the family demanded, they demanded we let them in the truck. They demanded to see the patient. And in that, with the help of PD, because there was police outside, you have to tell them no. You have to tell them no. Sometimes it's not, it, 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 you got to say no. You got to be able to deal with that kind of situation. Just think about it. Think about it was your loved one or family, cousin, brother, sister, husband. Just got shot. And someone in your distraught and someone is telling you, you cannot go inside that ambulance. You got to put it in their shoes. But that's the thing. You're an EMT. You can be sympathetic. But like I said before, you have to do your job. You have to know what to do and do it. Even if it mean even if it means you ruffle some feathers, people hate you, people get mad, they don't understand your job better than you do. In my time doing EMS, being an EMT, I found that to be true. Unfortunately, ignorance is common people don't know procedure people don't understand 
why they're feeling certain type of ways. And you've got to be able to navigate that. And sometimes that requires an explanation to them. Sometimes you can't give them an explanation if they're not the patient, at least. Because what we did after that, after they closed the door, they drove off. And I got in a truck and I drove off. And we were gone. We went to the closest hospital. Usually I, what, we, what we say in EMS is we don't, we don't drive dead bodies. We don't take dead bodies. This is one of the exceptions. And technically when we're doing CPR on you, you're not dead. We're still pumping blood. I'll give you another scenario where that happened. And it was one of the... It was one of these scenarios where I will... I always remember it. It was my first time. So this... This was one of my overnight shifts. I was working with someone who was fairly new in the 911 system. Cool guy. He's a listener. Kind of quiet. Um, I think I know who you know who you are. Won't say your name. But we were we were at a gas station and we were trying to gas up for the final job or trying to get off the tour just to prepare. Usually the last tour gases up and gets the truck ready for the morning tour. And we get a call for a cardiac arrest. That's typical. Yeah. People wake up, find their loved ones have been are dead for a while or unresponsive. And that's usually when it happens. You just don't know at what time. But this one was different. At least for me, it hit different. And for my partner, of course. But the description said that the patient was three months old. And I thought to myself, what? That doesn't sound right. Is that a mistake? And we weren't that far, so I I immediately pull out the gas pump, and we get to it. It was right right around the right around the corner. And when we get there, interestingly enough, before we pull up, police pull up right before us. Now, usually when it's a when it's a minor or an infant, police are also called to the scene. And while we're grabbing our equipment. Getting ready to work this up inside the home. The police already ran in. I mean they ran. And so. While they were doing that. And we're getting our equipment ready. Before we're even done. Police comes out with this little. This little human. This little baby. In his arms. And he's attempting to do CPR. With his two fingers. As soon as I saw him. I tell my partner, throw everything in the back. Let's go. Forget about all the equipment. They're bringing the baby to us. And so when, when the police officer hands me the baby and I lay him down, the doors are wide open. People are shouting. And I look at the baby and I, I see an, a, another sign of death, an obvious sign of death. The baby was already purple. The baby had been dead for some time. There was nothing we can do. Nothing at all. But given the scene that we were in, given the situation, 
We couldn't just leave the baby there. We couldn't just call time of death. We had to see this through. I got on the radio immediately and confirmed how far uh, paramedics were. While that was happening, I was uh, doing CPR on the on the child. My partner who, and I'd never seen anything like this, but I've been in 911 for some time. And I think I, I kind of just built a sense of, you know, focus in this case. And that's one of the things you will find. That's one of the things that we, I, I tell people all the time. The one way you know that you're you're okay to be a 911 EMT for these emergencies is if you're able to, you know, how you react in your first cardiac arrest. Are you focused? Do, do Can you listen? Are you cool-headed? Are you panicking? And so, in this case... I, I'm i looking at my partner and he's a little lost in space given what he just saw. And naturally so. This is not anything negative to say about him, but it was, it was something shocking. You got a three-month-old who's dead. That's not, that's not th- something we see every day. And so I'm trying to get his attention. I say, partner, pass me the, pass me the O2. And it seems he doesn't hear me. And I had to tap him on the shoulder. I said, hey man, I need you to pass me the O2. Kind of snapping him back into reality. And so he does. And I grab, and I grab a, a, B, a, B of M, a BVM, a bag valve mask. And I start to pump away. And then right then, all of a sudden, ALS arrives on scene. We were this close from leaving without them because of the current situation. Baby was already in the truck. All we had to do was leave. And all of these things that I'm saying to you, might have you might think it took several minutes. No, we were there for several seconds. All of this went down so quick. It might feel like an eternity to you, but it wasn't. Soon as ALS got there, they jumped on our truck. I got to the front. We drove off. My partner drove their truck. Police gave us an escort. We were going up to the hospital, closest hospital. And when we got there, when we got there, the doctors said what we already knew. They called time of death. They told the parents. And I want you to know that those kind of moments can be very scarring for someone. And there are, there are, you know, people who will talk to you and uh, by like by that, I mean counseling. You can see counseling for these kind of things in EMS. A lot of times it's you just got to keep going. You know, we still had we still had a couple of hours on our shift. And we had to after a while, after doing our report and you know, equipping everything we've used. Go back 98, guys. Get that other job. You got to ask yourself, can you do that? Can you see such a scene? Can you can you be cool under pressure? You might not be able to answer it. Not until you're in that situation. So, what are some ways that might help you? 
at least on the field? What are some ways that you can look at this kind of situation or prepare for this situation? I've got four things to keep in mind. And so the first one is watch and listen. Now, of course, if you're in uh, if you're in school for EMS, the one thing they always tell you, BLS, I'm sorry, BSI, scene safety. Of course, you're not yelling that stuff out in the street and you're saying it just to indicate that's what you're doing. But trust me, it rains true. You got your gloves on because you don't know what type of situation you're going to get in. And trust me, getting gloves on when it's a high-pressure situation can be tough. And then you're also looking at your environment. You're watching for changes. Believe it or not, you can be in danger sometimes. And you got to be able to know that. And the second one, like I said, is listen. Listen, you're going to have superiors there. There's going to be a lieutenant there. There are going to be paramedics there, possibly. If they're there, right? Because there might be times when they're not. But they're on their way with these kind of calls. You've got to not only listen to their instruction and what they're telling you. Because the, best inter- the, the point of the lieutenant is to supervise and help out wherever he can. So if he sees something, he can call an audible. He can see what maybe you're not seeing while you're working on the patient. Or a paramedic might tell you the same. Or your partner might tell you the same. If you're new, if you're new, this is especially for you. But it never goes away. It never goes away for those who have been here for some time. Your partner and you, and that's number two, look out for each other. For 12 hours, you two are stuck in a truck. For 12 hours, you are dealing with people, with patients, with situations. You don't know sometimes what you're getting into. You don't know how these calls can flip on you. Make sure you're watching each other's back. Don't just watch your own. Of course, you want to be safe. But your partner, you're all they have and vice versa even if you call at 1013 you call for help yeah they're rushing to get to you but it's going to take time and a lot of things can go differently in 30 minutes i mean in 30 seconds sorry in 10 seconds things can get real just real so that's number two number three Be ready to act. Be ready to move. Like I said, in the second story with the gunshot and the crowd of people. Oh, that's the third story. The crowd of people around us. If we would have stayed and worked up the patient there and eventually called time of death, it would have probably been a very different environment for us. People who panic do desperate things. You don't have that luxury. You cannot panic. And so you've got to be ready to make certain decisions or to move when the decision has been made by someone, by one of your superiors. You got to move. 
You got to act. Number four. Uh, This kind of goes with what I've been saying. But it's just to like conclude it. Follow instructions. You are not a solo. Or, yeah. This is not a solo mission. You got people around you. Some who outrank you. And it's no time to be proud or, or, or to think you're the best. I remember one time, and this is a story, maybe I should have saved this, but I guess it, it, it kind of connects. You guys get a bonus today. I got a story where we were, we were, or rather my partner was inside the hospital with a patient, registering them. And all of a sudden I see this, I see this crew running down uh, with their stretcher. They were getting ready to pick up a patient. They were from the transport side. And I see a supervisor running down to this car down the hill. And I'm wondering, is someone in trouble? And when I get down there, this lady is yelling. And there's a gentleman in the driver's seat. And he's not responsive verbally to or anything. But he's, he's awake. He's just not. He doesn't. It's like he doesn't know we're there. So I suspect it could be drugs, it could be anything, but point is we gotta move, we gotta get him out. One of the one of the transport EMTs was attempting to get his attention and open the door. She was unsuccessful. I asked her to then uh, step aside so that I can open up the back seat and or possibly move the move the seat back so we can get him out. And as that was happening, uh EMT swung around, opened the door. The transport EMT swung up, uh, opened the door, and I thought that was a great idea. Uh, and so I went in to get the patient out. Now, what's my point of the story? A lot of times, your inexperience might cause you to freeze. Because as as this was going on. Uh, this crew who had been uh, mainly on the transport side uh, seemed a little clueless and that's that's okay you're you're not experienced in this area you haven't seen these kind of things before i get it so i started to give verbal commands or rather request for this crew so that they can help me in this we got the we got the patient out i i called for the stretcher we we got him on the stretcher. We rolled him to the to the to the hospital, which was right up the hill, and we were able to get him in. But this this EMT uh, was a little upset that I took charge when really it's 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 not about charge. It's about patient care. So another thing, there's no pride in EMS. You can't be proud in EMS. You either know how to do the job or you can seek assistance from your fellow EMTs. Learn to listen. Be humble. In my last episode, I believe I said. I don't care who's in charge. I care about patient care. I care about getting the patient to the hospital. Lo and behold, he got up from the stretcher and just walked out. We don't know what it was. 
but we don't stop people from leaving. Uh, I mean, we, we, we attempted, we, you know, we told them, hey, you know, you should stay, but we're not going to force you to stay in the hospital. If you walk out, you walk out. All to say this, those are my stories of uh, where things where things could have gone really wrong had the crews and myself not maintained a cool head. If you've got any stories like that, if you've got any stories about anything related to EMS, whether it be crazy or funny, please send me an email, someemsstories at gmail.com. I'd love to read them. But for now, I'll check you guys later. Peace.